Our text is in Luke's Gospel, chapter number 13 today for our our text. (coughs) Luke's Gospel, chapter number 13. My father had a dream to fill his property and surround his house with big, beautiful trees. And he did that. Two big sugar maples shade the house. There's tulip trees, which are now covered with orange tulip-shaped blossoms. It's just beautiful. I can see them right through my picture window. There's lots of spruce and pine trees that make a beautiful background when they're covered with snow in the winter. Two bur oaks that he planted, which produce an acorn that the deer just love. And they're in my yard every fall. There's one more thing that he wanted because his father had one by his house, and that was an orchard. So he planted a plum tree and a pear tree and three apple trees. I have inherited that orchard. And I must say, I haven't got my grandfather's touch when it comes to growing fruit trees. My father raised a plum tree from the seed of two plum trees we had when we were growing up. And those two trees produced hundreds of white plums for all the years I was growing up. But the plum tree, that same stock in my father's orchard, died last year. Didn't didn't do anything. Uh, It never had a plum on it, as far as I know. The pear tree gets about three or four pears a year, which fall off and are eaten by the deer, so we've never tasted one yet. And then there's three apple trees. One of the apple trees produces apples about the size of a tennis ball, (laughs) and they are hard as a rock and they taste really bad. And then there's two trees that are supposed to be golden delicious. They certainly are not golden. They're little green apples, look like crab apples to me. And they certainly are not delicious either. One fall, Steve Nesbitt was walking by those trees and he reached out and he plucked off one of those little green apples. He looked at me and he just shook his head. (laughs) And he tossed it over in the grass. And he knows, of course, how to grow fruit and I don't. And if those trees were on Steve's farm, they would have been on the burn pile a long time ago. I keep them because it was my father's dream back in Norway, the old farm back there. There was a little orchard that was there for years, and they ate all that fruit. But the trees in my yard just don't produce any fruit. In our text today, Jesus tells a story about a fruit tree. It's one of those parables that Jesus uses to try to correct the way we think about life. Because we get messed up in our thoughts about life. And the conversation is set in motion by a terribly violent incident. It has everybody in shock. Now the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. That's a very true statement. In our society today we have violent incidents that shock people. School shootings, shootings in the workplace. And we think our society is worse than ever before in history. 
But in Jesus' day, there were such things, violent things, shocking things. And so it is that people come to Jesus to talk about the latest violence that was perpetrated in their time. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 13, the first verse. There were present at that season some that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. There it is. Everyone is in shock. It's an uproar over what has happened. The Romans had built a fortress right on top of Mount Zion, higher than the temple, which made the Jews crazy. So Pilate and his soldiers could spy from that high point right down into the temple. And it seems that there were some people from Galilee who had made Pontius Pilate angry. They probably led some kind of rebellion and had escaped punishment. But like all Jews, they went to the temple at least three times a year to make sacrifices. And when they left the safety of Galilee and came to the temple in Jerusalem, they were spotted by Pilate's soldiers. Pilate gave orders, you go and you kill him right away now. <clears throat> Just so it happened that they were in the temple making their sacrifices for sin. The Roman soldier killed those Galileans right there in the temple so that their blood actually mixed with the blood of the lamb that they were slaying. Violent murder right at the altar in the temple. Everybody's in shock. And these people who approach Jesus have apparently decided that the Galileans killed by Pilate in the temple must have been a bad bunch of sinners who were being punished by God. Let's see what Jesus says, verse 2. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? Is that what you think? The Jews in Jerusalem kind of looked down their long noses at the Galileans and they treated them like they were from the wrong side of the track. And the violent death that they suffered, they said, was probably just punishment from God. But Jesus has quite a different opinion. Verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then he gives another example. Verse 4, are those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The pool of Siloam was a pool where people went to get healed. And suddenly, something happened there. There was a tower by the pool, and the tower collapsed. And 18 people were crushed to death when the tower collapsed. Now, some kind of thing that happens today... We have things like that. Buildings collapse and they kill people. And these people weren't Galileans. They were Jews from Jerusalem. So Jesus asked, do you think these people were evil and they were punished by God? The 18 people who died in the collapse of the tower? And Jesus points out, are you looking at, you're looking at it wrong. That's not how you should look at this. 
When you need to do, what you need to do is change the way you think. The point is not whether these people were sinners or not. That's not for us to judge. What you should learn from both of these tragedies, the temple murders and the tower collapse, is that death can come to us unexpected. The Galileans who went to sacrifice at the temple never thought it was going to be their last day. And the people in the tower never dreamed it would collapse and kill them. In both cases, these people died unexpectedly. Their lives suddenly came to an end. And Jesus said, that's what you should learn from these two tragedies, that life can suddenly come to an end and you are not right with God. It is suddenly too late to fix what's wrong. So when you see these tragic situations, remember, death can come suddenly, take you by surprise. And it'll be too late to make things right with God. My friends, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people die with never a thought about God. Never so much as a question, never an inquiry, totally oblivious to God. And I want to tell you that's a terrible tragedy. Jesus says when you see death, it's a warning. Death is a reminder. It's coming for you. And it will find you in a final judgment. So Jesus says, don't argue about the injustice of Pilate. Don't argue about the sins of the people that were slain. Don't pass judgment on tragic murder. Use it to awaken your mind and your heart and get prepared. Get ready to meet God. Don't let death take you by surprise. And then Jesus, in order to more fully explain what he means, will now tell one of his wonderful stories. Verse number 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, and I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Now, the tree in Jesus' story is no ordinary tree. It's a fig tree. And fig trees were common all over Israel. But usually they were planted along the side of the road somewhere. Maybe a hungry bird ate the fig and left the pit behind. Or maybe a person who used the side of the road because that's good enough to grow a fig tree. They'll grow almost anywhere. Fig trees weren't usually cultivated. They were kind of something that grew wherever. But not the fig tree in Jesus' story. It was planted on purpose, it says, in a vineyard. A vineyard is where grapes vines are planted. It's always the best ground, the most fertile soil that was reserved for planting grapes. But in this fertile ground... 
among the grapevines, the owner of the vineyard has planted a fig tree. Why? To give it every advantage. Good soil, good sun, good water, fenced in, protected from pests and intruders, a perfect place for a tree to grow. It's a fig tree in a vineyard. But apparently, it's all to no avail. The owner has waited for the tree to mature. It grew from a sapling to a full-sized tree, and now it should begin to bear fruit. But the first year, nothing. Not even one fig on the whole tree. The second year, again, no figs at all. And now three years have come and gone, and there isn't one fig to be had from the whole tree. Now the owner has a keeper in the vineyard, a man who trims and fertilizes, waters and harvests, cares for the grapevines every day. And the owner says, look, three years have gone by without one fig. Why bother with it? Cut it down. Takes up space, wastes good resources. Cut it down. But the keeper says, how about one more year? Let's give it one more year, and I'll dig up around it, loosen the soil. I'll fertilize the tree. I'll take extra special care of that fig tree for one year. And maybe... It will bring forth fruit. Now, remember why Jesus told this story. Death will come to us all, and we must get prepared. So what does this story mean? How do we apply this story, the spiritual meaning of it, to our own selves? First of all, the fig tree was in a privileged place. It had every advantage. And so it is with people like you and like me who are gathered here today. We are here in the church. A place where we can learn. A place where we can be taught. Where we have every advantage to grow. And we can study the Bible together. But something is expected of us. We must bear fruit. So what is fruit? What is it we're supposed to do? How do our lives become fruitful? Well, here's a few things that are fruitful God considers fruitful, and the Bible instructs us these things are fruitful. We do things, number one, that bring people to Jesus. Because of our lives and our testimonies and our example, other people have come to know Jesus. That's fruitful. We can also have what the Bible calls the fruit of the spirits. And in those fruits, 
There are lists of those things. Love, the first one on the list. Love for others. Joy, joy that might inspire other people to believe. Peace, peace with God, a clear conscience. Patience, patience with people and a gentle attitude towards others. Kindness and mercy that helps other people feel like they want to be a part of God's kingdom. God is working in our lives, and there's evidence of his work in our lives. And as we sit in church, God comes to see the fruit that we bear. What work are we doing for Jesus? What fruit do we have that proves that we believe, that we obey? And as a question, it's quite to the point of the parable, have we been here for a year, or two years, or three years? Are we fruitful yet? Listen to what Jesus says about bearing fruit and how important it is. I'm reading from John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Or without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered. Men gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And so we learn from the story that Jesus tells, that God is patient. He's very patient with us. He waits for a year. What have you done for him? For two years, he waits. Three years. And then he wants to know, what fruit have you borne? Question comes, how long should God wait for you to do something for him? Jesus says, in the end of his story, I'll give you another year. I've waited three, but I'll give you another year, and I'll be patient, and I will give you every advantage. Oh, how kind he is, isn't he? How patient he is. But if all you do is take up space like the tree... If all you do is remain the same, and if you never change, if you never develop, you never grow as a Christian, how long should he wait for you? What about death? It is coming. Will you wait until death knocks on your door and it's too late? No, my friends, the Bible says, now. That's the word it shows. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to bear fruit. I was thinking about this. I remember the very first service we had 
in this church on Palm Sunday in 1990. There was a big crowd here. And when he, everybody left, was a man who stayed behind. And he came up to me and he asked me why I opened this church up and what motivated me to do it. And I said, well, I turned uh, to be 33 years old. And he said, 33 years old? And he kind of laughed, kind of mocked me a little. He says, oh, that's a pretty special age. <laughs> Is that the magic age? And I said to that man, when Jesus was 33 years old, he died for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus was 33 years old, the plan of salvation was completed. At 33 years old, I found myself way behind, and I needed to catch up. At 33 years old, Jesus had done so much, and at 33 years old, I had done so little. Jesus said, here is the way to bring glory to God. Bear much fruit, so then you will be one of my disciples. When Jesus told the story of the fig tree with no fruit, he was saying to us all, I've been patient. I've been waiting for fruit in your life. Remember, death comes unexpectedly, and suddenly your time is up. So don't waste your time. Use your life for God. Be fruitful. Be useful to God. You've been given every advantage. Every advantage. So seize the moment. Serve the Lord and do His will. Be a fruitful tree. May God bless you as you're fruitful in His hands. Learn the lesson of the fig tree, my friends. Jesus is inspecting your fruit. And what does he find? May God find your life to be fruitful. May you be useful in his hands. He is patient, amazingly patient, but he won't wait forever. So serve God while you can. And may God bless you as you do. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we heed your warning. We recognize how much you have done. And, and we look at our own lives and see how little we have done. And so we ask you to be patient a little longer. Well, we get our thoughts together. We find a way we can serve you with all of our hearts. We know that there's not one person that can't find a special way to serve. So help us, Lord. Whether we pray, whether we work, whether we give, whatever it is we do, may we find a way to serve you with all our heart. Bless us as we do, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn to hymn number 546. Hymn number 546. Standing as we sing, if you will. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Page 546. Stand together with us if you would.
that we would take these things in heart and heart to mind today, thinking about our life and what fruit we have brought forth, how we do not know the day nor the hour in which our last moment will be. Help us to be thoughtful, and we know how patient you have been with us. We have often not borne the fruit that we should have, we just pray that you would help us. Help us to think on your word. Help us to pray more regularly. Help us to bring our hearts full of the fruit of the Spirit to those around us. In our families, at work, at school, in the places we go throughout the day, may we treat others with a godliness that draws them near to you. We thank you for the opportunities we have, and we thank you for such patience that you have with us. We ask for your help and your guidance. Protect us. Bring us back to this place with hearts ready to worship, ready to learn more. We are grateful for all these things, and we pray in your name. 